Beginning my day with a Bible devotional has absolutely been the best thing I could have ever done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses I look through when I'm reading the Old or the New Testament. So get a cup of coffee, sit back, and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Before we get started on our devotional today, I want to pay tribute to a, uh, a hero of mine. The man you see here in this picture is Uncle Fred, my uncle. And he is the spiritual patriarch of this family. And today, today he went home to be with the Lord. We grieve, and I'm having a hard time right now, but he was suffering, he was ill, and I am personally, even though I'm holding back tears right now, I'm in awe that earlier this morning, he closed his eyes here and opened his eyes there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through we see now through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Today, Fred is no longer staring through a smoky, dirty window. Today, Fred is standing face to face with the one who he dearly loved his in, almost his entire life. I'm going to miss his booming voice. I'm going to miss hearing him sing the hymns that he loved to sing so well. Fred loved fiercely. And he taught his entire family how to love and how to forgive. And he taught me the power of a simple faith. He never flinched. He was always talking to somebody about Jesus. Uh, I'm going to miss him. And I grieve for my auntie who has lost the love of her life. It's a sobering moment. But Hebrews 12 gives me hope. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews talked about all the heroes of the faith, of which Fred is one of those. And talked about how when they died, the world was not worthy of them. And then he, on the heel of talking about all these heroes of the faith that have gone on before us, he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of the faith, Fred has now joined the crowd that cheers 
us on, that cheers me on. And I can't wait to see him again. <sighs> I love you, Fred. You're a good man and a powerful testament to the faith and power of our God. Hmm. So, with the having said that, I hope that's not a, too much of a downer for you, but I wanted to honor my uncle because he's worth it. Today, we are going to uh, talk a little bit more about David. David's going to take the next chapter of his life. And David is going to begin the path to becoming king. Now, Saul had just died. Saul knew that David was going to be king. Jonathan knew that David was going to be king. All of David's family knew he was going to be king. Uh, a lot of people knew that David was supposed to be the next king of Israel. So you'd think that when Saul dies, David would just step, step up, become king, and start ruling all of Israel. No. There's another seven years to go. Seven and a half years to be exact. So, oh my goodness. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I'm, I'm taking two lessons from this passage that we're going to be reading in this chapter. One is, things almost never happen as fast as you want them to. And two, the absolute ability of David to wait on God even when he knew what was supposed to be happening David did not step up and force the issue of becoming king over all of Israel he waited for God to move and God was going to wait another seven years seven and a half years so let's let's get started uh, chapter two in the course of time David inquired of the Lord shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah he asked and the Lord said yes go up David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. Now, this makes sense because Hebron was uh, a very key city in Judah, and it was an easy place to defend. It was a good central uh, place, city to, to dwell in, to go to. and But that's not... What impressed me, like I said, David knew he was supposed to be king. He knew he was going to be king. And then now he's asking God, where do you want me to go to start? And God says, go to Hebron. Uh, this is so different than Saul. Saul's attitude was to do what he needed to do. And if God wasn't moving fast enough, Saul was going to force the issue. In fact, that's what happened at the very beginning of Saul's reign. Samuel told him, go wait before you go fight the Philistines, I'll come, we'll do some sacrifices, and then we'll God will give us direction and we'll go. Well, Samuel was delayed a short time, and so Saul just decided to start sacrificing animals right away. It wasn't that he wasn't allowed to sacrifice. Anybody could sacrifice an animal. It was the fact that Samuel, God, through Samuel, told him, wait till I get there. Wait till Samuel gets there. And he didn't get there, so Sam, Saul took things in his own hands. That's the heart of Saul. Did I say Samuel? I meant Saul. Saul took things in his own hands. That's the heart of Saul. A rebellious spirit and one that does not initially think of bending his knee or towards God or bow his head towards God. 
Saul did what Saul wanted to do. Now here's David. Samuel told him he's king. His brothers know he's supposed to be king, right? Uh, he's got nephews with him. His whole family knows he's supposed to be king. Saul and Jonathan knew he's supposed to be king, but he doesn't assume a thing. After it's all done, Saul's buried, Jonathan's buried. Lord, what shall I do? Where shall I go? Go to Hebron, he said. So, David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with them, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed King David king over Judah. Okay. Now, you can see why this probably happened, because all the time that David was with Philistines for the last several years, he was actually protecting Judah. Uh, when Philistines thought, when King Achish thought that David was out doing battles for Philistia, thinking that David was a low, loyal vassal of the Philistines, truth is, David was taking care of the enemies of Judah. So, that was an astute move on David's part, because now Judah comes to him, and they anoint David king. They don't have any problem. They, he has already been serving them as a de facto king. He was protecting them. Saul didn't protect them. David did. And we see the results. Um, let's keep going on here. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh-Gilead who had buried Saul, I believe that was from the, where the tribe of Benjamin was, he sent messengers to them to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul and your master by burying him. May the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness. And I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. Now then, be strong and be brave, for Saul, your master, is dead. And the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. Now David is, is politicking a little bit here. He sends messages to Benjamin, and he says, Look, Judah's already anointed me as king. Thank you for taking care of Saul. Thank you for showing kindness to his household. And then he's giving them an op opportunity to come to him and accept him as king. Now, they don't do it. But this shows us a couple things about David. One, he does not swoop in with his army men from Judah and the army that was with them in the wilderness. He doesn't swoop in there and demand Benjamin submit. He doesn't go in and demand that anybody submit. He gives them an, op an open-ended opportunity saying, look, all right, Saul's gone. Judah has appointed me king, has anointed me king. Why don't you join us? But this also demonstrates David's ability to forgive. He forgave a man whose sole purpose for the last few years of his life was to kill David. He tried to kill David several times in his own palace. He spent years hunting him in the wilderness, chasing him, hounding him, forcing him to seek protection from the Philistines. And David forgives him. There's no absolutely no display of anger or bitterness from David towards the house of Saul. That's pretty amazing. You know, um, I think I shared this story before, but uh, 
when I was taking my mom and dad's ashes back to Alaska uh, to scatter them at, at a special place, I was talking with my brother and he said some of the wisest words to me that I've ever heard. We were talking about why I'd, I'd hardly ever come back to Alaska, to my hometown. And, and he knew, like I knew, that I was made fun of a lot. And I had some pretty bitter memories towards a lot, towards some of these poor folks that were still living there. And these are the words he said to me. Because like, I had told him, he says, I just don't see any reason to come back. I Hardly anybody there. There's hardly anybody there I want to see anymore. And he said, you know, here's the thing that forgives me. You're the one really religious person in our family. And you follow the one who forgave so much, and you can't forgive a handful of jack hats that had treated you poorly over 50 years ago. That puzzles me. That hit home to me, and he was absolutely right. Forgiveness is an important precept of being a Christian. It's an important precept to being a human when you don't forgive somebody, it's like you're carrying the corpse, their corpse around on your back. It's like you're when you're carrying a grudge, it's like you're carrying a dead person on your back. The only person that grudge hurts is you. Forgiveness isn't about setting them free. <laughs> Odds are they're already free. They've forgotten they ever did anything to you. Forgiveness is about setting you free. David forgave Saul, the man who tried to kill him on multiple occasions. That's pretty big. That's pretty huge. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, that's Saul's fourth son, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanam. He made him king over Gilead, Asher, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. So, the cousin of Saul, which is Abner, made Saul's fourth son king. So, you know, Abner was really the power behind that. Now, you think, the way it's written right here, you think it happened overnight. Truth is, it didn't. We're going to see it took over seven years. Oh, it took over seven years. Actually, it took about five years to get Ishbosheth recognized by the rest of Israel as king. So, uh, this must have been a confusing time. David was king over Judah, and Ishbosheth finally becomes king like five years later. Um, it's kind of that's kind of frustrating. I think if I'm if I'm Ishbosheth and Abner, I think that would be very frustrating. Frustrating. Um, let's get on down here. For Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was forty years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. And until David became king of everything in Israel, he spent seven years and six months as king of Judah before he became king over all Israel. Which means if Ishbosheth ruled only two years, that he spent five and a half years to get to the point where he could become king over Israel. So that must have been a it must have been a crazy time. Things don't happen. Things didn't happen. Bing, 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 one after the other. And, and that's one of our big lessons for me is that things rarely happen as fast as we think they should. God spoke to me in a very plain, unequivocal manner 
when I first bowed my knee to him in 1975 in boot camp in San Diego. Uh, he told me he had ministry for me. In my mind's eye, in my heart, I was ready to go at that moment. And I started pursuing it, and, and it never happened. I didn't find out what ministry he had for me until th- 2002, 2003, 25, 27 years later, 28 years later. Um, God told me he had a ministry for me, and I didn't step into that ministry until 2023. How old was I then? Let's see. Born in 56, 44, plus 23. I... 40, let's see, uh, 56, 44, and plus three. Yeah, I was 47 years old when I finally stepped into the ministry that God had for me. Um, but he told me when I was 20. My goodness. Things rarely happen as quickly as you think they should. So David was told he was going to be king of Israel when he was 12. Slew the giant Goliath when he was 13 or 14. Became a general in Saul's army when he was 20. Saul tries to kill him and drives him out. And he ends up running around in the wilderness with a bunch of roustabouts and scallywags. And he uh, ends up living with the Philistines, etc. For seven years. And then Saul dies. Judah immediately appoints, recognizes him as king, anoints him as king, and another seven and a half years goes by before he's king over all of Israel. He's going to be start to be king, I think, when he's 40 years old. Um, that's hardly overnight. You know, and, and I will be honest, that part frustrates me sometimes. When I know what's supposed to happen, and it doesn't happen quickly, And the reason it frustrates me is because I am a prisoner of time. You and I, we're prisoners of time. God's not. Um, God is like the author of a book. If you write a book, the beginning, middle, and end of that story is all now to you. You know it all at once. It's now. Every bit of it. But the characters have to live that story a page at a time, a paragraph at a time, a sentence at a time a chapter at a time. They don't know what's coming next, the characters in that book. But you do. You're the author. You wrote it. It's all now to you. You can recite beginning, middle, and end now. That's my life. God knows the beginning, middle, and end of my life. I have to live it a page at a time. Sometimes that's frustrating. But the author of my story has laid out my life. And my life is going exactly the way God says it should. He's sovereign. He's the author of my story. And the truth is, what I thought ministry was when he told me in 1975 had almost nothing to do with what I ended up doing as my ministry. I didn't know at all. I didn't know anything. God, who knows everything, told me what he was going to do. And then it was fulfilled 20 some odd years later. David was told when he was 12, he's going to be king of Israel. He doesn't become king of Israel till he's in his 30s. Sometimes things just don't happen like we think they should. 
Now, let's keep on going here because there's some more skullduggery going on here. Abner, son of Ner, together with the men of Ishbosheth, son of Saul, left Mahanam and went to Gibeon. Joab, son of Zerai, and David's men went out to meet them at the pool of Gibeon. One group sat down on one side of the pool, one group sat on the other side. Abner said to Joab, their contemporaries, remember Abner is Saul's cousin, head general, and Joab is David's nephew, head general. They each had some men with them. Abner said to Joab, let's have some of the young men get up and fight hand to hand in front of us. All right, let them do it. It's kind of like, let's decide this issue without two armies hammering at each other. Let's just have a small group of men do it and see who wins. So they stood up and were counted off. 12 men for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and 12 for David. Then each man grabbed his opponent by the head and thrust his dagger into his opponent's side, and they fell down together. All 12 men killed each other immediately. Hmm. So that place in Gibeon was called Hekath Hazarim. I'm sure I massacred that name. And then they battled. The battle that day was very fierce. Abner and the Israelites were defeated by David's men and Joab. The three sons of Zerai were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now, Zerai, Zeruai, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She was one of David's two sisters, which would make Joab, Abishai, and Asahel, his nephews. They were high up in his army. Joab played an important role through David's reign, chief commander of David's forces, an ardent supporter of David, but sometimes he was uncontrollable and had a bad habit of doing whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. He was eventually executed by Solomon after David died. Abishai, served alongside Joab in David's army, and Asahel was also listed among one of David's mighty men. Um, Asahel was as fleet-footed as a wild gazelle. All right, the battle's over. Abner and his men are running. He's chasing after Abner, turning neither to the right nor to the left as he pursued him. And Abner looked at him and said, Is that you, Asahel? It is, he answered. Then Abner said to him, Turn aside to the right or to the left. Take on one of the young men, strip him of his weapons. But Asahel would not stop chasing him. Again, Abner warned Asahel, Stop chasing me. Why should I strike you down? How could I look your brother Joab in the face? But Asahel refused to give up the pursuit. So Abner thrust the butt of his spear into Asahel's stomach, and the spear came out through his back. He fell there and died on the spot. And every man stopped when he came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died. But Joab and Abishai, hmm, let's get back to that. Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. Abner kept running. And as the sun was setting, they came to a hill of Amma near Gia on the way to the wasteland of Gibeon. Then the men of Benjamin rallied behind Abner. All right, so they formed themselves into a small group and took their stand on top of a hill. Abner called out to Joab. 
Must the sword devour forever? Don't you realize that this will end in bitterness? How long before you order your men to stop pursuing their fellow Israelites? Now Abner is trying to get off without any more struggle, without any more fighting going on, because uh, his men have lost, and he wants to live to fight another day. So the remainder of his men are surrounding him, but apparently Joab and his uh, and his other brother don't have as many men, and so Joab answered, As surely as God lives, if you had not spoken, the men would have continued pursuing them until morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, brought it into the hostilities. All the troops came to a halt. They no longer pursued Israel, nor did they fight anymore. All that night, Abner and his men marched through Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, continued through the morning hours, and came to Mahanaim. Mahanaim. Hmm. Then Joab stopped pursuing Abner and assembled the whole army. Besides Asahel, 19 of David's men were found missing, but David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with Abner. They took Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb at Bethlehem. Then Joab and his men marched all night and arrived at Hebron by daybreak. All right. The disparity, first of all, between the number of men that Abner and his men killed and the number of men that Joab and his men killed is pretty, pretty huge. 19 people died on David's side of the ledger. And let's see here. And David's men had killed 360 Benjamites. Um, it was a pretty crushing defeat for Abner and his men. So Abner goes back home. And Joab goes back home. And that's kind of where this chapter leaves off. Now, again, what lessons can I draw from this? Well, first, the first lesson is things rarely happen. Like I said, things rarely happen when we think they should. They, the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. One of the hardest lessons, to wait. I am more like Saul in this regard than David, and this shames me because whenever I read a scripture passage like this, I ask God, hey, show me something about me. And I'm hoping, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be something encouraging. Paige, you're doing great. Hey, look, this scripture, you're doing like this. Well, here's what I get from this, and it's not encouraging in a lot of ways. I'm like Saul. I rarely wait upon God before moving. I recognize that, and it, it's humbling. When I lost my job with a satellite communication company, I jumped right into buying and setting up a, uh, a video production company. I didn't ask God about it. If I did talk to God about it, I did it while I was doing it. I didn't ask him if I should. I didn't ask him if he wanted me to. I am like Saul in that regards. David, even though he had been told he was king when he was 12 and had, had it reinforced to him over the years, when it came time and Saul was gone, he didn't just rush out and declare himself, I'm king. He, turns, he goes to God and says, what should I do? Where do you want me to go? 
David did not presume. He knew that God had told him he was going to be king. He's waiting for God to tell him how that was going to happen. And he waited until God did. So that's one thing I take upon myself. I tend to jump first. I'm part of the, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission crowd. And that's not a good thing. The second thing is that things rarely happen when we think they should. Got to wait. You got to learn to wait upon the Lord. You've got to learn to wait upon him. You've got to realize that God is going to do things when God is going to do things. He's sovereign. That's the whole thing here. He is sovereign. We must learn to slow up and wait. Nothing. God will never, never not keep his timetable. He might not keep yours timetable or mine, but he never messes up on his timetable. It, things are going to happen when things are going to happen. They that wait upon the Lord, they'll renew their strength because you won't be spinning your wheels doing useless activity. Oh, there's a lot of things here. I wish I could say I was like David. I think I'm more like Saul. And that gives me something to work on, I think. Don't you? <laughs> All right. Well, this is Paige. Folks, that's a good place to stop. I'm out of here. Have a great and glorious day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com.